No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Main Street Board Game Cafe. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. They feature a huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to the newest releases. They also have a library of over 400 board games for open play. So find your crowd at one of their Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Dungeons & Dragons Invention Tournaments, or their board game and RPG after-school program for grades 1 through 12. There's also a full-service cafe with food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine with fun and friends. So it's Main Street Board Game Cafe at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, New York. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Phones down, heads up, and unplug your game. Welcome back, everybody. This is Arthur Staple, your host of No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Uh, circumstances beyond our control, uh, being Tropical Storm Isaiah's knocking out power to my house here in Connecticut for several days last week were the, the reasons that we didn't have a podcast last week in the middle of the Islanders-Panthers qualifying round series. So this week, um, we have power here in the house and the Islanders have advanced so we still have a podcast and they have a series coming up starting tomorrow with the Capitals in the official first round of the playoffs so we've got a lot to talk about um, and we'll start with a, a recap of a pretty a pretty solidly decisive four game series win in the best of five over Florida um, I had predicted five games at the beginning of the series and uh, having talked to a couple of people around the league uh, executives from other teams uh, in the East, a couple of coaches from other teams in the East. Everybody felt like this was an Islander series to win for a lot of the reasons that unfolded in the series, uh, mainly being that the Panthers just hadn't shown, even you know, even with five months off and, and a Hall of Fame coach in Joel Quinwell, they just hadn't shown all year that they're able to play a consistent game five on five. Their power play, I think, as a lot of people saw, was, uh, was terrific. Um, they really generated a lot and were really creative on it. Uh, scoring four of their goals in the series, and really five because Mike Hoffman's goal, I think it was in game two, came just a couple seconds after a power play ended. Um, so they were they were a high-powered offense at five-on-four. At five-on-five, boy, they were a mess. And I don't mean to keep harping on it because the Islanders did a lot right uh, and were far the far superior team, and a lot of players on the Islanders showed uh, showed that they stepped forward to play better, I think, than they played in the regular season. But I do want to get out of the way that the Panthers were a mess. Um, I think coaching-wise with two probably Hall of Fame coaches, definitely Joel Quenville, almost assuredly Barry Trotz, two of the four winningest coaches of all time. Um, Trotz really won that matchup quite handily in the coaching department. You know, Again, just to touch on some things for Florida, Frank Vitrano was a guy I think a lot of people identified as maybe an X-factor, a, a real offensively skilled guy. They have a couple defensemen uh, and a guy, Mike Matheson, who uh, is signed long-term, has six more years on an eight-year deal, a relatively young guy. Uh, a lot of their star players, Bar- John- uh, Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberto, are young guys. Mike Hoffman playing for a contract as a, as a highly skilled player up front. Evgeny Danidov's uh, same. And uh, outside of their power play prowess, like I said, you really saw nothing from any of those guys and literally nothing from guys like Matheson and Vitrano who were benched after game two and didn't return even after the Panthers seem, you know, gutted out a game three win. Um, it kind of foretold that game four route that the Islanders had because they were just the team that had shown so much more consistency uh, at five on five that were really, they were cycling well 
uh, Florida's transition game wasn't very good. They weren't setting up well in the offensive zone. There was a lot of one-and-dones, one chance, and then no second chance, uh, a lot of blocked shots by the Islanders. It was um, it was a comprehensive performance from the Islanders, and it was, um, like I said, some people around the league who know a lot more than I do expected it. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. You, you, cannot, you just cannot – uh, ex, you know, expect to know what you're going to see in this um, bubble pandemic environment. Um, but I think the Islanders felt very confident how they entered into the bubble, how they, you know, their full health really helped them. Um, and I think, you know, the the few adjustments that Trotz made seemed to work. You know, Leo Komarov, I don't think, had a huge impact on that game four uh, in a positive way other than just his presence, you know, um, took a bad penalty he was on the ice for Florida's goal, uh, which was another power play goal. But uh, but Uncle Leo, uh, there's something about him with this Islander team. They really love him. Uh, the coaches really love his presence, and um, you know I think he's just uh, he's just a heavier player than Tom Kunakel, who had made some nice plays uh, to create offense in the first couple of games. But I think um, you know I think like. Like Trot said, Leo's uh, he's just a heavy player. He's a slower player too, and I don't know if that's going to help him in the next series. But I think uh, I think Komarov being a healthy guy and an option for them is uh, is better than not. Which um, I know a lot of fans out there don't don't love Leo, but uh, there is something about him. You know, he he played a, a pretty a pretty strong first round last year against Pittsburgh, which was another matchup of um, a highly skilled. You know program uh that focuses on offense against an islander team that likes to slow things down and the islanders were successful in too so uh that move worked well one that they were kind of forced into which uh with johnny boychuk who got hurt in game one taking matheson's shoulder to his head um andy green going in i think was the obvious choice over noah dobson um and really the results were were pretty pleasantly surprising you know andy green been a couple of years since he was in any meaningful playoff games. Um, you know, new team. It uh, it could have been a bit more fraught, and he really he really settled things down, um, making very assured plays. Whether it was stepping up in the offensive zone, he did that uh, to keep a play alive to, to get a goal going in game two. Um, you know, and switching from left to right very effortlessly on that uh, deep pairing with Nick Letty, and I think the biggest uh, biggest impact he had was on Letty. Letty seemed like a much more uh, confident player on the ice in that series. Um, you know, the Letty Boychuk pairing has been uh, six years going and, and has produced a lot of good moments over those years. But I think it, it had slipped a little bit given the, you know, the, the minutes were down for the two of them and, and got both of them in and out of the lineup with injuries this season. Uh, and Green was just a real steadying presence for Letty. And, and that's uh, that's pretty important. We'll get to that, at, uh, you know, when we're starting previewing the the cap series about that dilemma now because Johnny Boychuk is healthy he's been practicing um so Barry Trotz does have a choice there on defense and do you go back to your original six or do you stick with what was working it's uh it's it's a common playoff problem for some coaches and um you know I'll have my thoughts on it a little bit later but as far as the Florida series went Green uh Green had probably the best impacts of any defenseman I think that they had out there um and uh, and like I said, a real a real steadying presence uh, that they needed at five on five. Um, 
and I guess you know we should certainly highlight uh, some of the guys that played exceptionally well in that series. And you have to start with Anthony Beauvillier, who has looked like he's been shot out of a cannon since the minute they got up to Toronto. He had a, a really good exhibition game against the Rangers, um, and he scored a you know the, what was the eventual winner in Game One on the power play, two goals in Game Four, um, playing at a high pace the entire time. You know it really harkened back to. Some of the games um, that he had a big impact on during the regular season, he and Brock Nelson really were, you know, Barry Trotz has shuffled lines around plenty in his two years and sometimes out of necessity because of injury, sometimes ineffectiveness, but he he looks at them more as pairs rather than trios. You know, you've got, um, you know, that fourth line works mostly because of Casey Zizekas and Cal Clutterbuck. He could could spot some other people in on the left side, but as long as he's got the two CCs, he's, he's good with that. On the top line, Barzal and Eberle are really the kind of the inseparable couple. When they're going well, that's what he wants. And and that second line, it's Beauvillier and Brock Nelson, and they've really been a consistent pair uh, all the way through the season. Uh, they've had a lot of Josh Bailey on their wing. They've had some other guys. Derek Broussard was there for a while, um, but but Beauvillier and Nelson have been very consistent. Um, you know, I think in contributing five of their eight overtime winners. Uh, they they had a stretch there during the seventeen game. Uh, unbeaten streak where it seemed like they were scoring overtime winners every night. They work really well together. Nelson doesn't doesn't range too far in. He's he's a smart player for a big guy and you know positions himself well on the ice. And then they kind of let Beauvillier charge in, uh, kind of like a Casey Zizekas on the forecheck and really hunt for pucks and uses his strength to and his tenacity to to work pucks down low and. Um, you know, there's a good chemistry there, and I think seeing that line step to the forefront and then seeing the Barzal line have the game four that it had, mostly Barzal, who makes that makes that line really go after a couple of mediocre games to start, uh, they need to have two lines that are a real threat. Um, you know, they'd love to have four lines that are a real threat, but really having your top six be the ones that don't just play even but are able to create chances and, and kind of keep the puck alive in the offensive zone, go back-to-back on shifts and and work the uh, work the team, uh, work the opponent in their own end. That's important, and uh, and they really got it right from the start. Certainly with Nelson's line, they you know Barzell's line picked it up as the series went along. And and let's not forget John Gabriel Pajot, three goals in four games, some kind of uh, reinforcing his uh, reputation as a big game player. You know, I think uh, Islander fans. Love to razz on the Rangers, um, even from the years when the Islanders weren't in the playoffs. And if you think back to 2017, which was the last time Pajot was in the playoffs, he had that four-goal game against the Rangers as Ottawa was on its way to the conference final and came within an overtime goal of making the Stanley Cup final against Pittsburgh that year. Um, and Pajot scored the first goal of the series, scored another big goal, and and finished it off with an empty netter. Um this is a guy who, uh, you know, the Islanders spent a lot of capital, uh, money, and assets to acquire, and um, he was as advertised. And I think uh, the fans who follow the team on social media who saw him uh, looking like he was going into a title fight uh, playing ping pong in the Islanders' uh, ping pong tournament in their in their bubble hotel that they've been that's been occupying their downtime. Peja was the eventual winner. Um, you know he's a competitive guy, and I think uh, his personality really came out. And, and and for a lot of Islander fans who haven't really seen much of that, uh, have just seen him be very buttoned down and and reserved in uh, in his media sessions. Uh, have kind of seen him, you know, be an impact player uh, at least in the last couple of weeks. Um, 
on the ice, but not a not a big talker. I think that was the the first sign of probably many to come for his time with the Islanders. That uh, this is a guy that people are going to love to root for and and be behind. And um, you know, I've got a story that I'm working on about uh, his uh, his origins uh, in uh, the Ottawa area and and becoming a you know a bit of a legend up there. Uh, because he played for the local junior team. He played for the local NHL team uh, for almost his entire career. Um, he, he's a guy who's beloved everywhere he's been, and it's uh, it's been fun to talk to people who knew him from when he was a kid up to a teenager and on into the into the pros. Um, I think uh, Islander fans maybe were on the fence a little bit at the time of the trade just because of how much Lou Lemerle gave up to get him, six-year deal, uh, which you know now that it's a flat cap, might put them in a little bit of trouble uh, in the years to come, but uh, but this is a guy who, when there's games to be played, is going to be as advertised and become a fan favorite very quickly. So, um, a big series for him, and uh, and we'll see uh, what kind of impact he can have uh, when the Islanders play the Caps starting tomorrow. Um, highlighting a couple other guys, Semyon Varlamov. Uh, you know, I I was a bit surprised that uh, Trotz went to him. Uh, in both games of the back-to-back, two games two and three, especially with a two-nothing series lead, I thought uh, it would be it would be an opportune time to get your starting goalie some rest, get some work for Thomas Grice just in case. Um, and uh, he went with Varlamov on the back-to-backs. They were both noon starts, so it wasn't wasn't a taxing time turnaround. And there's obviously no travel or anything like that. And Varlamov hasn't played very much <laughs> hockey at all, as no one has for months. Um, and he stumbled a little bit. You know, he had that brain cramp where he touched the puck outside the trapezoid that led to Florida's uh, go-ahead goal uh, in a game in the one game that they lost. But uh, but he came right back and was and was really good in Game Four. Um, and really, I don't I don't think he was. Uh, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky made some real ten bell saves in that series. That's because the Islanders were just pouring wave after wave on him, and certainly when they had the lead, just counterattacking because the Panthers were so inattentive to the other side of the puck it seemed even when they were losing but um but Verlamov was sharp you know it was uh it was very it was a very trots like uh game you know series from the goal on out they were the goalie made the first save uh when he needed to he covered pucks and got whistles and when he couldn't control rebound his defense was packed in very tightly the forwards were blocking shots the d was clearing bodies and pucks um they didn't give up a lot that was super dangerous, especially five on five. You can even think of the goals that Florida scored five on five. None of them were terribly memorable. Uh, you know, there was Jonathan Huberto's goal in game one. Like I said, Hoffman's goal in game two that came just after the power play ended. Brian Boyle's uh, goal in the third period that came off a, a broken play uh, in game three, and that was it. You know, this was uh, this was a tidy series for the Islanders, a good one to get them started get their confidence up, make them realize that uh, after all this time off, they still can play their system and, and control the pace of a game against the team with a lot of skilled players. Uh, and when they're at full health, they're they're a dangerous team, mostly because of they have all of their guys available. There's not one, one individual guy that's going to put them over the top. And going into a series that you're ratcheting up the intensity, the physicality against a bigger Caps team, um, a team that's been there before, a team with a lot more high-end skill than the Panthers and certainly the Islanders. Um, you know, I think I think they're in as good a position as they could possibly be going into this next series. Support for No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Big news, everyone. Manscaped just launched in Canada. 
For our listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with their shavers with, with quiet stroke technology. And don't forget about their charging stand. Show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Remember, 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. And now a message from Indochino. All right, now we'll look ahead to tomorrow, uh, Game 1 Islanders Capitals, 3 p.m. on Wednesday, up in the bubble in Toronto. Um, this is an interesting series. You know, I, the, obviously the talk is going to be Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup with them, with the Caps two years ago. Uh, his assistant, Todd Reardon, is now the head coach. Very similar styles to both teams, uh, at least at uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, and obviously it's the Caps, you know, Islander fans have long memories to 2015. Uh, the last time they faced each other in the playoffs, that was a seven-game series that came down to a third-period goal uh, in, a, in what was a fairly lopsided Game 7 that Yarrow Halak kept the Islanders in, um, but ended up being a 2-1 Caps win with 11 total Islander shots on goal. Um, but that series had a lot uh, had a lot that involved some of the players that are still on the Washington side, Tom Wilson most notably. Alex Ovechkin is still around. Nicholas Baxter is still around. He had a big overtime goal in game four. Um, so there's plenty of history there uh, and even beyond Trotz versus his old team and Lane Lambert and Mitch Korn, uh, two other coaches with the Islanders that came from Washington as well. Um, but I'm not so sure that that's going to make much of a difference other than the the storyline that we like to talk about beforehand. It's it's like I said, they you know teams that see each other four, sometimes five times a year in years past. Um you know, nobody loves Ovechkin, and who's in the division and has to face off against him with you know the way that he plays, his physical side, his incredible goal scoring ability. They've got plenty of other guys. T.J. Oshie, like I said, Backstrom has been around. John Carlson, who missed the round robin with an injury, but uh, could be back by by tomorrow. Um, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who really kind of uh, blossomed as a player in that 2015 series, he was probably the Caps' best player in that series five years ago. Um, Jacob Vrana is a is a guy that people can't forget about. Lars Eller, who who left the bubble to go be with his wife for the birth of their son, uh, it doesn't sound like he'll be ready for Game One because of the quarantine and time off the ice. But you never know. Uh, they've got some other names of guys that people are going to have to know about. Garnet Hathaway is a fourth line player who loves to throw the body and get uh, get it, be a bit of an agitator. Radko Gudis has been in the division for a long time with Philly and now with Washington. Uh, likes to walk that line of uh, legality when it comes to hitting people. So there's no shortage of of players for the Islanders fans to notice and Islander players to, to get revved up to play against. Um, looking at some of the factors that could play into the Islanders' favor in this series, uh, I think the main one, and we won't know this until the puck drops tomorrow, is the Islanders have been, have been in, in playing elimination games since last week. The Caps played you know, kind of a three-quarter speed round robin 
against the three other top seeded teams. Uh, they ended up one and two with a with a, a narrow win over the Bruins on Sunday that determined this matchup. Um, so it's hard to know what what sort of place they'll be in mentally and physically when the puck drops tomorrow, and if the Islanders are ready. And the caps are not. That's um, even in a seven-game series. That's a big advantage to get out quickly on a team like Washington and make them play from you know having them play from behind. It's the position in in games the Islanders love to be in. They love to play from ahead and slow things down and frustrate other teams and counterattack. Um, you know if they can get a game or even two games to start this series because they were sharper mentally and and physically because of what they'd been through in the qualifying round. That's going to go a long way. Um, you know I think another factor. Braden Holtby uh, has been really good in the round robin, and uh, you know he can obviously be a difference maker if he stands on his head. Um, but if the Islanders are able to get to him early, the Caps have no plan B in net. Um, Ilya Samsonov, who's their really stellar rookie goalie, uh, suffered an injury during the during the lockdown during the time away. He's not available. Um, their backup, I believe, is Vitek Vanacek, who's kind of a career backup in the AHL. Um, so it's Holt Beer bust for the Caps, and they'll need him to be sharp. If this thing goes seven, game six and seven are back-to-backs. Uh, I can't imagine if you get to six and seven, even the Islanders with the choice of Arlamov and Grice would switch goalies unless there's some problem that happened in game six. But the Caps are not going to be changing their goalie unless there's an injury. So Holtby is it if the Islanders can get to him. Um, you know, and he had a sub 900 save percentage during this regular season. Samsonov was really the main reason why they were at the top of the division with the way that he played. Uh, so if Holtby is, uh, is, 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 can be gotten, um, the Islanders will have a big advantage because even if Arlamov stumbles, they do have a, a capable backup in Grice who's played in these kinds of situations before. So uh, that'll be an interesting area to watch. You know, special teams, um, the Islanders, like I said, struggled mightily with Florida's power play. Everybody struggles with the Caps' power play, even though it wasn't as high-powered as it usually is during the uh, regular season and during the round robin. But there's a lot of things that can get you on their power play. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier in the show uh, the Andy Green versus Johnny Boychuk dilemma that Trotz might have. One of the things that plays into the favor of playing Boychuk is that he knows how to play that Caps' power play. He knows how to shade over against Ovechkin's big one-timer. He's not afraid to block it. Um, he's not afraid to be physical. I think the one of the things that you noticed that was clearly a systemic issue with the Islanders against that Florida power play was that top PK defense pair of Adam Pellick and Scott Mayfield didn't really have any idea how to manage their Florida's forwards. You had Barkov uh, kind of parked at, the, at one circle and Mike Hoffman parked in the other circle. Huberto causing problems right in front of the net. Dadinov in the in the bumper slot, kind of out in the in the slot, um, and Barkov had a power play goal where Pelic was kind of caught in between, uh, and Huberto was able to screen Varlamo pretty easily. They tried, you know, they tr- they tried having Mayfield go out on Barkov that left the bumper spot open, or in that case, left Huberto open. Who you know, puck went down to Huberto. He had lots of room in front of that. Slid a pass over to Hoffman. That was in Game Four to help Florida kind of stay in it early. Um, the uh, you know the the style the Islanders play it's kind of a it's kind of a one two one penalty kill where they you know they try to keep uh, keep a, a, a picket fence almost in the middle of the the ice to keep shots from getting through from the point but it leaves them vulnerable a bit on the wings and if a team can pass the puck down low uh, it opens up a lot uh, and the Caps can certainly do that you know Ovechkin obviously clears out a lot of space with that big shot it's super accurate 
even if you know it's coming, it's still dangerous. But if you shut him down by stretching the 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 group, uh, you've got TJ Oshie in the in that bumper spot. He's one of the best there. You've got Backstrom ranging around near the net. He's not necessarily quite as big a presence as Huberto is, but he plays. You know, he's such a has such vision to make passes. And if Carlson is healthy, he's another option to shoot at the top. Uh, and then you've got Kuznetsov, who's a bit of a wild card on the other on the other wing. Um, this is a dangerous group, you know, and uh, the Islanders have to tighten things up on the PK. And I'm sure that's the bulk of what they've been working on these last couple of days in practice is is really sharpening up that PK. And you know, if Pelican Mayfield can't get it done, can Green step in with with Pollock, let's say, on a on a the next pair and get it done? Maybe, but. Trotz may may go to his old reliable and Boychuk, um, even if that means that that kind of degrades your D pairs a little bit five on five, just because five on four is going to be or four on five rather for the Islanders is going to be such an important aspect. The Islanders' power play, on the other hand, was really good against Florida. It was twenty five percent, four for sixteen. The fact that they had sixteen power plays in four games shows they were doing something right, considering they averaged less than two power plays a game during the regular season. Um, you know, and really, what was driving that success was not the group with Barzal. Uh, it was a group that was had Beauvillier and Nelson and Bailey. Uh, Derek Broussard was with them. Devon Taves was with them, and I thought Taves really, as far as the offensive end, was the best Islanders defenseman. You know, Pollock had had some points and had a big power play goal when he and Taves were on the ice together. Um, but I think when it's when it's a four forward one D setup, Taves is really the ideal guy because of his ability to walk the blue line. He's good at keeping pucks in. He's good at moving his feet. Uh, he makes accurate passes. Shot isn't really much of a threat, but uh, but he's been distributing well, and I think they've they've clearly spent a lot of time during that two week camp working on some new wrinkles from the regular season. And uh, you know, I, Washington's penalty kill is also very very good, top five. They've got aggressive big guys. Wilson kills a lot of penalties. Um, Richard Ponick is a penalty killer. Um, so that you know, that's going to be a challenge for the Islanders as well. They need to be able to at least hang, hang even in the special teams, and especially keep themselves out of the box um, to be able to have some success in this series. And keeping out of the box kind of leads into the uh, a little bit of rev- you know revision, uh, not revision, but just uh, remembering 2015. Uh, Tom Wilson running over Lubo Vishnovsky, uh, Kyle Pozo calling Tom Wilson an idiot. Um, Fans calling Tom Wilson a lot worse than that. Uh, I believe it was Brooks Like, now retired, who made the comment that it was a good hit by Wilson to knock Vishnovsky out of the series. So that one got kind of nasty. Um, this one really can't afford to be nasty. The Islanders, uh, you know, have too many valuable guys. Really, if you're if you're not playing Ross Johnston, which I can't see why the Islanders would at this point, because you're not going to get enough minutes. Tom Wilson is usually a top line guy, and he can keep up with Ovechkin and Backstrom. Um, he kills penalties. You know he's a he's become a much more well-rounded player than he was five years ago. So you're not you're not putting Ross Johnston out there to get him to fight. He will not fight Ross Johnston because he's too valuable to the Caps. He's going to hit people because that's what he does. So you have to neutralize him by having the puck and keeping him off his game instead of trying to get goad him into penalties. So I don't think you're going to see Ross Johnson for that. The guys that are on the ice for the Islanders are are in the lineup for the Islanders. A guy like Scott Mayfield who can be thrown off his game a little bit by that sort of extracurricular stuff. They need Scott Mayfield too much to, to have him be sitting in the box a lot. And, you know, he's a penalty killer. If, you know, you, it it makes you hang your head a little bit when you see him or Pellick or Sezikis or Clutterbuck take a penalty because that takes away one of their good penalty killers. So 
discipline has to be key for the Islanders. Um, they have to be able to, to kind of hold guys up. You know, you can't really do that anymore on the forecheck, but the, the caps are going to be throwing the puck in and going in, whether it's Ovechkin, Wilson, Hathaway. They've got some big boys up front who want to go in and bang bodies. Um, you got to be able to uh, legally or sneakily shield your, your defensemen from these forwards coming freight training in. So you're going to see a lot of that as far as the game within the game. It's hard to see on TV sometimes because that's not where the camera is, but you can kind of tell uh, if the Islanders are successful or not, seeing how fast the Caps forwards get in on their dump-ins to start to, to wreak some havoc. So the Islanders like to play a lot of the similar way with their fourth line. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think the Caps D is not as deep as the Islanders defense. You know, the Caps do have Dmitry Orlov. Uh, you know, I think guys that are further down the rung, Nick Jensen is, is a guy who's not uh, a super high-end guy. Um, you know, Michael Kempney is, is a decent defenseman, but maybe not uh, not a top pair type of guy. You know, and, and if Carlson's missing, then they're, that's missing a big piece, obviously. When Norris Trophy Canada guy who provides tons of offense. So that's uh, that's definitely something to watch. But uh, but five on five is where the Islanders can win this series. That's that's kind of how I view it. That's how a lot of people view it. Um, if they play the way that they did against the Panthers, they're not going to meet as little resistance five on five as they did with Florida. But I think there's there's definitely games you've seen against Washington over the years where some of their top six forwards get frustrated, don't want to defend, don't want to play without the puck, don't want to race back and back check. You can take advantage of those situations there, and that's where you've got guys like Taves and Letty and Pollock who can make them pay by joining the rush, um, make them pay by keeping the puck in the Washington zone, make them pay by putting a lot of pucks on Braden Holtby, who, like I said, has not necessarily been Braden Holtby Stanley Cup winner this year. Um, so this series is there for the Islanders. You know, it's it you can't really see it as a lopsided one. It could turn out that way, but uh, but right now it feels like a six or seven game series. Uh, that could go either way, depending on how the first few games go. So uh, if the Islanders hit the ground running tomorrow afternoon, and certainly they've had their share of afternoon games so far, they were the noon guys pretty much all the way through that first series. Um, so if they can uh, if they can get out quickly in these first two games, and really even if you don't win both, if, you, if you're playing the way that you want to be playing and get a split, win the first game even and start to get the caps thinking about are we ready you know did this round robin prepare us for what these guys are throwing at us because they're healthy and they're and they play such a grinding style then um then you have to like the islanders chances and uh you know it's such a free-for-all you don't even know um you know the flyers are the top seed you wouldn't have even thought that they would have been in the top four really when uh, when the break came they were playing so well they kind of edged into it and they knocked out pittsburgh and then pittsburgh gets knocked out in the qualifying round so um you know it does seem like a, such a wide open year and if you're if you're focused and willing to withstand the, the weeks and weeks in the bubble away from your family and and uh and make the most of it we'll uh we'll have to see but uh but so far it's been uh it's been an interesting ride and uh i think the Islanders are, are going into the series with the mindset and with the with the games behind them where they want to be so uh it'll be fun to watch